Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. And Father, as we stop and consider how amazing it is that we are able to lift our voices to you in prayer, that we're able to enter into your presence with with our requests, Father, with our thanks, Father, with our questions. Father, we thank you for being a God who cares enough about us to listen to our prayers and answer our prayers. And Father, we pray that today as we spend more time in this letter that James wrote, that we will have a, a deeper appreciation for the kind of prayer life that we should have Father, also a deeper appreciation for the kind of care and concern that we should have for each other. Father, help us to be people who are always bringing our requests, bringing our thanks, bringing our questions to you. Father, help us to be the kind of people who are always mindful of our brothers and sisters and help us to be people who want to bring them back when they wander away. Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we are nearing the end of our sermon series out of the book of James. In fact, next week will be our last sermon out of the book of James. And then we'll move into our summer series. And our summer series is going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And as we've done this series, we've been approaching this letter that James wrote personally, as if it was written directly to us. And that's led to some uncomfortable moments as James has kind of stepped on our toes and even stepped on our necks at times. For example, last week we heard James go from preaching words of comfort to the poor and oppressed among us to uncomfortably meddling in the luxurious and self-indulgent lives that most of us in America live. And today we're going to see that James is going to move from the temptations that come with riches. He's going to move from the trials and struggles that come from being poor and oppressed to focus on the trials that are brought about by illness, both physical illness and spiritual illness, the trials of sickness and the trials of sin. And as we focus on this very last part of James's letter, I want us to keep in mind that everything that James is going to talk about is going to be within the context of community and within the context of communication. He's going to be talking about community with God and community with his church. He's going to be talking about communication with God and communication with his church. And we'll see as we go through these verses that James recognizes that we should never try to deal with sickness or never try to deal with sin apart from God or apart from his church. So let's listen again what James has to say to us today. James 5.13 Is any one of you suffering? You should pray. Is anyone happy? You should sing songs of praise. Is any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick well. The Lord will raise you up. If you have sinned, you will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Are you suffering? Is life a struggle? James' advice is simply, 
you should pray. Are you full of joy? Is life good? James's simple advice is you should be singing praises to your God. But for most of us, life isn't lived in those extremes. Very few of us have experienced a life that was full of nothing but suffering. And very few of us have lived lives that have been filled with nothing but joy. But almost all of us have experienced at least some suffering in our lives. And almost all of us have experienced at least some joy in our lives. And I think that probably all of us have experienced all of the things that exist between those two extremes. And James tells us that suffering and joy and every state that's in between those two extremes should produce a response to God. It should produce communication with God. And it should do that because we live in community. We live in communion with God. And unfortunately, our tendency often is that we choose to communicate with God only when we are living in the extremes. We tend to pray a lot when we are suffering. And we tend to praise a lot when things are joyous. But we tend to be silent when we're in between those extremes. And for most of us, that's most of the time. But what James envisions for us instead is a life that's lived in constant communication with God. Not just when we're living in those extremes. To capture what James envisions for our lives, these verses should probably read more like this. Are any of you suffering with the trials of life? You should keep on praying to God. Are any of you delighted with the blessings of this life? You should continually sing praises to God. You see, if we want to remain in community with God, we should remain in communication with God during good times and during bad times and all the times in between. We should keep on praying and we should keep on praising. But for James, it doesn't end there. Because James doesn't envision, in fact, I don't think James can even imagine that we would not stay in communication with our God. James can't imagine life lived apart from community with God, but also he can't imagine life lived apart from community with other Christians and life lived without communication with our church family. And this is especially true, James tells us, when a brother or sister is dealing with serious illness, when a brother or sister is dealing with terminal illness. And James tells us that these serious illnesses and the suffering and the trials that come along with them should never be born alone. Never born alone. These aren't the times for us to go into our strong, silent act and try to do it on our own. These aren't the times to just keep our suffering to, between us and our God. These struggles should always be shared with the church, and especially with its elders. Is any of you seriously ill? James says you must tell the elders and you must call on them to pray over you and anoint you with oil. See, both the information about your suffering and the burdens that come along with your suffering should be shared. James tells us to not ever try to go it alone. God has given us a community and we should communicate with our community. We should do that when we're suffering 
And we should do that when we're joyous. We should do that in every state in between those two extremes. So James says, are you seriously ill? Then enlist the prayers of the righteous. Call on the elders. Call on those who are known to be righteous. Call on those that you know keep on praying and those you know that keep on praising and have them pray over you. Have them pray over you because they are the people who stay in constant communication with God. And have them pray over you because their prayers work. James says their prayers are effective. He says their prayers heal. And James calls on us to do something else that may make us more than a little bit uncomfortable. He calls on us to do something that probably sounds a little bit strange to our 21st century Western ears. He says the sick should be anointed with oil. And that shouldn't freak us out, even though sometimes it does freak us out. See, anointing with oil simply signifies God's presence. It simply signifies God's favor. And it signifies the presence of the Spirit and the Spirit's power. Oil doesn't have any supernatural power. But it acknowledges that there is power. It it acknowledges where the power resides. And all healing power resides in our God. The elders don't have the power to heal. Righteous people don't have the power to heal. Oil doesn't have the power to heal. But the God the elders call on has the power to heal. And so we should make sure that God's presence is evident to all when we are praying these prayers. And what the oil does is it makes God's presence evident. So that all will recognize and all will acknowledge his presence and his power. And what a power it is. And God's power should make us bold. Not arrogant in what we can accomplish, but bold in what we can ask our God to accomplish. Bold enough to ask for complete healing. Bold enough to ask for the rain to stop and to ask for the rain to start again. Our prayers should be bold. James says we should pray with a confident expectation that God will hear and God will answer our prayers. You'll remember how James put it earlier in his letter when he was talking specifically about praying for wisdom. In James 1 in verse 6 he said, When you ask God you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Such a person should not think he will receive anything from the Lord because he is double-minded. And James expresses that same kind of confidence here. He expresses that same kind of belief here, that same kind of faith here, a belief that's without any doubt. He says that the prayer that's offered in faith, the prayer that's offered in belief without doubt, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. He also says Elijah was just like us, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And he prayed that it would rain, and it did rain. And I don't know about you, but for me, that presents a bit of a problem. See, I don't know about you, but I don't have a very good track record when it comes to people being healed or the weather being controlled as a result of my prayers. Most of the seriously ill, most of the terminally ill people that I have prayed for and prayed over, 
did not recover. And I want you to know I'm not taking credit at all for the wet May that we're having here in Albuquerque. I don't think that's a result of my prayers. And yet James says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And he says Elijah was just like us and his prayers first stopped the rain and they restarted the rain. Well, remember that Jesus said in Mark 11 verse 24, whatever you ask for in prayer... Believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And he said in John 14, 14, You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So it can be difficult for us to reconcile our experiences with disease and death and these promises of healing. So how do we reconcile them? Well, first let me tell you how we shouldn't reconcile them, and that's by sending people on a lack of faith guilt trip. A lack of faith guilt trip. Is faith required for prayers to be effective? Absolutely. There's no doubt that faith is required for prayers to be effective. But does the fact that a prayer for healing isn't answered, is that proof that the sick person or the praying person didn't have strong enough faith? And my answer to that is absolutely not. That is not the case. You know, all we have to do is look at the Apostle Paul for proof that strong faith doesn't guarantee that our prayers will be answered in the way that we want. You'll probably remember Paul's struggle he tells us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said that he had a thorn in the flesh that tormented him. Most likely it was some kind of illness or some kind of physical infirmity. And Paul says that he prayed fervently. He pleaded with the Lord three times for the Lord to take it away from him. And God's answer was no. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Faithful Paul faithfully asked. He pleaded, he begged for healing and had every expectation every confidence that God would say yes. And instead, God said no. Not because Paul didn't have sufficient faith, but because Paul's God had other plans. And like Paul, we are called on not only to have faith, but to make sure our faith is in our God, not to have faith in our faith, if you will. We're to have faith that his plans and his purposes are being fulfilled in both his yes answers and in his no answers. And we're to have faith that when Jesus returns to claim his children, when Jesus comes again, then all will be fully healed. All will be fully restored. So as we live in this difficult and this challenging world, in this difficult and challenging time, we are to boldly and confidently Pray for God to heal and heal now. For him to extend lives for a short period of time. We're also to look forward to the day when God will truly and completely heal. Truly and completely heal forever. So our prayer should not only be bold, our prayer should also be humble. Our prayer should be humble as we recognize and acknowledge that everything we hope for And everything that we ask for is contingent on God's will. 
You'll also remember just a little bit earlier in this letter that James wrote in chapter 4 and verse 13, James said this. He said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and do that. See, we must always bend our will to God's will. We must humbly leave room for God's will to overturn our will. Our God is sovereign. He's the king. Our God has all power. He has all knowledge. Our God has all control. And the fact that he's sovereign allows us to pray to him boldly and confidently because we know, we have faith that he can do all things. But his sovereignty also requires us to pray to him humbly. Pray to him trusting his will. Trusting that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that while James, like his brother and like his God, is deeply concerned about the trials of this life, deeply concerned about physical illness, James, like his brother and like his God, is primarily concerned about our spiritual health. And James insists that restoration of spiritual health requires two things. It requires confession and it requires prayer. James says to confess our sins to each other and to pray for each other so that we might be healed. And it seems to me that we have embraced the necessity of prayer for forgiveness of sins in our churches, in our church family. But it also seems to me that we have neglected the necessity of confessing our sins to each other. But I want you to know, I don't think there's any doubt that God intended confession of sins to be as much a part of our lives and as much a part of our church lives as prayer. See, since we're in community with God, we're able to confess our sins to God. We're able to ask Him for forgiveness, and those prayers do bring God's forgiveness. But we're also in community with each other. And to remain in community with God's children and to keep that community, the church that God intended for it to be, we must be a confessional community. Not a perfect community, but a perfected community of restored sinners. And confession of sins is a vital part of being that kind of community. See, confession does several things for our church community. One of the things it does is it brings humility to our community. Because through confession, we acknowledge our failings. We also acknowledge our complete dependence on God to rescue us from those failings, to rescue us from our sins. Confession does something else for us in our community. It brings unity to our community. It brings unity because it breaks down barriers by acknowledging to each other that we have all sinned, that we have all fallen short. And it acknowledges to each other that none of us can do it on our own. 
And confession does something else in our community. Confession brings reconciliation to our community. Because when we confess, when we're willing to admit to each other the things that we have done that have damaged each other, when we're willing to ask forgiveness of each other, and when we are willing to forgive each other, it's then that our damaged relationships can be healed. It's then that our brothers and sisters can be reconciled with each other. That requires confession. Let me make it clear that I'm not calling for everyone to come forward every Sunday and publicly confess all their sins in front of the entire church. But I also want you to know that there are times when coming before the entire church is exactly the right thing to do. Those times would include when we have sinned against the entire church. Those times would include when we have sinned in a, such a public way that has brought dishonor and disgrace to the entire church. In those times, confession should be done publicly. It should be done before the entire church. I believe that confession should not be any more or any less public than the sin that is being confessed. But all sin should be confessed Because God's desire is that all sin be forgiven. His desire is that all relationships be healed. His desire is that all will be saved. And God's desire is also that all who wander away from him and all who wander away from his church will turn back to him and turn back to his church and confess their sins so that they can be restored. But James acknowledges and James recognizes that some of us need help doing that. Some of us need help from each other. Because some who will wander away won't turn, but they need to be turned. They need to be turned by a brother or turned by a sister. And that's how James chooses to close his letter. Verse 19, he says, My brothers... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Some of us, probably many of us, will wander away from God and will wander away from his church. And if the church waits patiently, some of us will find our way back. But our brother James, James who called on us to patiently endure our own trials, does not counsel patience in this instance. Instead, James says, when trials take our brothers and sisters away, what we should do instead of being patient, we should go. We should go and find them and we should bring them back. I think once again, James is clearly echoing his brother's teachings echoing the teachings of Jesus about the value of every single sheep. He echoes Jesus' insistence about the value of every single brother and every single sister. People who have such value that there's great rejoicing over every lost brother and over every lost sister who is found and who's brought back and who's restored into our community. 
And I think we need to understand that that isn't a job that's reserved just for the elders. That's not a job that's reserved just for the deacons. That's not a job that's reserved just for the ministers. Going and finding and restoring our lost ship is the privilege and it's the responsibility of everyone, of everyone in this congregation. We all must have a heart for our lost sheep. We all must have a passion for our lost sheep. And we all must take on the responsibility of going and finding and helping to restore. That's for all of us. It's for all of us together. And I'm going to confess something for all of us together. We, all of us together, have failed and are failing in this responsibility. See, I'm convinced that bringing our wanderers back is one of the most neglected responsibilities of the church, this church included. And if we are going to be doers of James's words and not hearers only, that has to change. We've committed ourselves. We've committed ourselves individually, and we've committed ourselves as a church family to not just being listeners, but also to be doers. And as doers of God's word, as doers of James's words, we'll certainly be people who pray, and we'll be people who sing. We won't do that just during life's extremes, but we'll do it at all times, and we'll do it in every life situation. And as doers of the word, we'll be people who don't try to go through life's trials alone. But we'll be people who enlist the prayers and help and support of our brothers and sisters so they can lift their voices to God on our behalf and so they can lift us up as he lifts us up. And as doers of the word, we'll be people who confess our sins to God. And we'll confess our sins to God with complete confidence that he will forgive and that he will restore But as doers of the word, we'll also be people who have confidence, complete confidence in confessing our sins to each other. Because we will be people who generously and willingly forgive. And people who generously and willingly restore each other. In the very same way that God has forgiven and restored each one of us. And finally, as doers of the word, we will become people who seek our brothers, who seek our sisters who have wandered away from God and who have wandered away from his church. We will become people who bring the wanderers back for forgiveness, who bring the wanderers back for reconciliation, who bring the wanderers back for restoration, who bring the wanderers back for forgiveness from God and forgiveness from his church. Bring bring the wanderers back for reconciliation with God and reconciliation with this church. So I want you to know I'm not going to offer an invitation today that says, come. I'm going to offer an invitation today that says, go. I'm going to offer an invitation that says, go. That says, seek. That says, bring back the lost sheep. Bring back the wandering sheep from our church family ask you a few simple questions. Who do you know that is missing? 
do you know who's missing from our family? Who haven't you seen in weeks or maybe seen in months? Who do you know needs help coming back to where they belong? And I want to say, in this case, let's stop being patient. Let's write the note. Let's make the phone call. Let's schedule the lunch. Let's make the visit. Let's extend the invitation for our wanderers to come back. Come back where they are known, where they are loved, and where forgiveness resides. And let's be people who look forward to those reunions. Look forward with great joy so that we can come together and rejoice when our wanderers come home. So as we stand up and we sing, I don't want you to come. I want you to go. I want you to go to those who need help coming back. Let's stand. Let's sing. Sing.